And greetings, everyone. Uh, this is Nicole Jordan. I'm National Managing Partner for Markets, Clients, and Industry at Grant Thornton. And I'll be talking today with Mary Moore Hamrick, our firm's National Managing Principal for Public Policy, about the results of the midterm elections and how they will impact business. Hi, Nicole. It's great to be here today. Thank you. Um, As we know, the midterm elections are now more than four weeks old, and we have a much clearer picture than when you and I were together uh, for our preterm webcast, because we have seen now that Democrats won 40 additional House seats and now have a 235 to 200 member majority while Republicans kept control of the Senate, even though they were able to add two seats. These midterm elections, in which 116 million people voted, we had the highest voter turnout of eligible voters since 1914, also brought a record-breaking 35 new female lawmakers to the House. But I can tell you, Nicole, we still have a lot of uncertainty. Who's going to be House Speaker? What will House Democrats' top priorities be? And will President Trump be able to finalize trade and tariff deals with China, Canada, Mexico, and other countries? Other concerns include whether Democrats will seek to reinstate federal regulations that the Trump administration has cut in an attempt to unburden businesses and help the economy grow. And many want to know, will we get an infrastructure deal that could create millions of jobs and fuel the U.S. economy with an estimated $1.5 trillion in construction and renovation projects? I look forward to addressing these issues and more in our conversation today. Terrific, Mary Moore, and uh, looking forward to it. And Our uh, learning objectives as we're um, uh, complying with our CPE requirements, um, describing how the 2018 midterm elections may impact your business, and then secondly, identifying steps that your company can consider to prepare for the various election outcomes. And uh, that will take us to our first polling question. And uh, Mary Moore, we're going to start with uh, which of your company's 2019 decisions do you think will be most affected by the outcome of the midterm elections? Technology development, capital equipment acquisition, workforce growth or improvement, global operations expansion or contraction, or uh, none of the above. And I I think... um, just it, it's interesting to think about what uh, different uh, executives and management teams are thinking about today, Mary Moore. Well, what are you hearing um, from CEOs and board members? And uh, you often speak to uh, the C-suite. What are you hearing? Absolutely. Well, I'm hearing from CEOs and board members um, that they really understand that long-term business decisions aren't based on the short-term political results and the state of the economy takes precedence over the political landscape and another election cycle is always just around the corner. But now that we have this um, divided Congress, Mary Moore, how will that impact businesses? Well, with the, with the new Democratic majority in Congress having won 40 seats in the House, they're going to be conducting investigations of the Trump cabinet officials and the um, administration's actions, 
and that's going to be top priorities once these members are sworn in. I, I'm sorry to say I think these investigations will likely be rancorous and could get in the way of bipartisan cooperation. And over in the Senate, Republicans will be in control, and they'll just try to keep the deregulatory agenda on track. And if the Democrats try to roll back tax reform or deregulate, um, you you have that Republican Senate majority um, making it less likely that you'll have final passage of any of those initiatives. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, let's take a look at our polling results here. I know um, we've had a lot of participants voting here, and it looks like our highest um, response is in workforce growth or improvement. Um, I think that sounds very aligned to um, what we are hearing as well. Um, Well, I I think, Mary Moore, if we move to um, the 116th Congress House composition, let's start with Democrats controlling the House for the first time in eight years. Democrats gained the 40 seats. As you mentioned, they were projected to win 20 to 40. And uh, since World War II, the president's party has lost an average of 25 House seats during the midterms. So Democrats arguably overperformed, though 11 of the seats they picked up were won by less than three percentage points. And a 235-member House Democratic Caucus doesn't give the new speaker a lot of cushion on contentious bills when the passage of any legislation requires at least 218 yes votes, correct? You are exactly right, Nicole. The House Speaker can only afford to lose 17 Democratic votes on any partisan legislation. And um, we currently see a 39-seat majority held by the Republicans in this outgoing Congress, and we know how difficult it was for House Speaker Paul Ryan to get health care legislation passed and certainly had to pull that last vote. Um, He had 35 members in the more... um, conservative House Freedom Caucus uh, that he had to contend with and to get their votes. There's going to be a mirror image of that with the for the House Democrats who want on a progressive agenda calling for Medicare for All, impeachment hearings, and a more aggressive agenda on the issue of climate change. So the new speaker, which we expect will be Nancy Pelosi, is going to have to really balance a lot of different groups from the Congressional Black Caucus, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, and um, be careful as the more liberal wing of the party wants to fulfill their campaign promises um, that will have a little bit more um, progressive legislation out there. So it's going to be a challenge as Democrats try to show what policies that they are for as we head into the 2020 presidential elections. I see. Well, and how about if we shift to the uh, the Senate composition? Republicans kept control of the Senate, despite the Democrats going to the polls in record numbers, in large part to really put a check on President Trump's policies and divisive behavior which exit polls showed was just too extreme for many suburban voters. Well, Republicans did maintain control of the Senate, and they even picked up two seats, which did defy the historical trend of the president in power losing an average of four seats during a midterm. But you have to remember that Democrats had to defend, um, they had 26 incumbents, Uh, up for uh, re-election this year out of the 35 Senate races. 
and 10 of those incumbent Democrats were running in states that President Trump won in 2016, including West Virginia, which President Trump won by 46 percentage points. So Republicans had a pretty good playing field going into uh, the midterms. So if we look at the results, the Republicans won four of those Democratic-held seats in the 10 states that President Trump had captured in 2016. And on the flip side, Democrats won two of the Republican-held seats, seats in Arizona and Nevada. So while Kentucky Republican Mitch McConnell will return as Senate Majority Leader, um, he has a 53 to 47 um, uh, majority, a little bit more, but the Senate Minority Leader, New York Senator Chuck Schumer, is going to return as the top Democrat, and his real power is going to come from um, the fact that McConnell will need at least seven Democrats to reach that 60-vote threshold that's necessary uh, to pass legislation. Okay. Well, if we take a look at some of the key factors that determine the outcomes in the 470 congressional races, um, I want to discuss the exit polls, which show what was on the minds of voters on election day, we can try to compare that data with what we thought would indeed drive voters to the polls in those record numbers. Well, President Trump and health care were certainly big issues, and the Democrats won the House in a large part by running as a repudiation on the president. But in many of these 2018 races, local issues played a big role in the outcomes such as in the Florida Senate race that was won by Republican Rick Scott, um, uh, who demonstrated his effectiveness during Hurricane Michael. Now, beyond the historical odds of the president's likely losing congressional seats in the midterms, money and voter enthusiasm, which was at a 20-year high, as well as 39 congressional Republicans not seeking re-election or retiring, which is the highest number since World War II, were also contributing factors. If you look at the historical spending, Democrats, Republicans, and their respective campaign committees and outside groups all contributed to the projected $5.2 billion in spending, which is truly a record for congressional races. Among the big spenders were super PACs, which included former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, Bloomberg, and his super PAC alone spent about $30 million in campaign advertising for Democrats in House races. So you can see who raised the money, uh, but those who raised and spent it didn't always win, or I like to say, you can show me the money, but the votes are what truly count in the end. <laughs> exactly. And can you give us a few examples? Sure, Nicole. In the House, Democrats raised over $923 million compared with $612 million for Republicans, according to OpenSecrets.org. And the Democrats in the House outraised their Republican opponents in about 75% of 80 of the most competitive races. Yet more than half of them lost, according to an analysis by the Federal Election Commission data. And how about the Senate? 
Well, Senate Democrats also raised record dollars of $540 million compared to the $396 million for Republicans, but they did fail to retake that chamber. And I think the best example of this about what, where candidates' messages and other key components will matter is the Texas Senate race where Democratic challenger Congressman Beto O'Rourke broke the fundraising record for Senate candidates. He, uh, Congressman O'Rourke, running in the Senate race, raised more than $70 million in his bid to unseat the incumbent Senator Texas, uh, Senator Ted Cruz. But Congressman O'Rourke lost by 2.6 percentage points, and I think that's largely due to his more progressive platform uh, that failed to connect with the more conservative-leaning voters uh, in that state, and so he just failed to pull off an upset. So I'll tell you, you really just have to look at the exit polls to see what matters. Agreed. I'm living in Texas was watching all of this very closely, uh, Mary Moore. Um, let's look at some of that exit poll data. It's a snapshot of what voters were thinking when they pulled the ballot levers, but the, the data provides really good insight into what we thought were the top voter issues versus what really mattered to them. And businesses can use the data to anticipate what Congress might do over the next two years and what to expect in 2020. Well, you're absolutely right, Nicole. There were few, if any, surprises in 218 about what drove voters, voters to the polls. Um, unsurprisingly, President Trump, the wealthy businessman and first-time elected official, continued to be a polarizing figure. And you just might consider a CNN exit poll found that 94% of Republican voters strongly approved of what President Trump had done, while 95% of Democrats strongly disapproved. And in addition to the Trump factor, exit polls showed the top issues for 218 voters were health care, immigration, the economy, and gun policy. I think the biggest concerns under the topic of health care were the rising cost of prescription drugs and how insurance companies were going to address their coverage for customers with pre-existing medical conditions. Yes. And, well, what more specifically did voters think about Trump? Well, the elections were no doubt a referendum on the president in his first two years in office. Americans, depending on their party affiliation, seemed diametrically opposed on every Trump position. Republicans, for example, backed the president's hardline positions on immigration, which included that refugees must enter the country in a legal and organized manner at designated ports of in in entry. Now, Democrats argued that President Trump's orders, including separating family members at the southern U.S. border, were inhumane. However, there were some issues that brought consensus, including Trump's offhanded remarks that were often considered offensive and unpresidential. In addition, financial markets um, and businesses, with some ex exceptions, really didn't like the uncertainty that has resulted from the president's tariffs on imports from Canada, China, Japan, Mexico, and the EU. Americans did give credit to President Trump for signing the 2017 
um, tax cuts and for reducing federal regulations, which together have contributed to a robust economy highlighted by record low unemployment. GDP growth, consumer confidence, and financial markets until um, recently have been up since President Trump took office, but the positive economic numbers were overshadowed by the president's high disapproval ratings. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's take a look at our um, next polling question. And if we uh, shift to that, um, it really takes us to the the election outcomes are unlikely to affect recent trade tariffs, which are the result of Trump administration executive orders. We're interested to know, does your company have a specific 2019 strategy for managing the impact to your business in the event of a trade war? So perhaps it's yes, you do have a comprehensive strategy in place or you have a strategy but still have some concerns about tariff impacts um, or not having a, a specific strategy in place. Interested to hear your thoughts here. Uh, take a, a few seconds to respond. I think exit poll data shows that healthcare remains a key issue for voters. I know we will talk more about it in, in detail later, but while we're waiting for the answers to the polling question, Mary Moore. Well, with the election results, I can say that uh, a repeal of the, Amer- of the Affordable Care Act is likely shelved at least until 2020. And three red states, Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah, voted to expand Medicaid. So that's good news for health care providers. Voters will also want to see a lowering of their drug prices. And if there's any action on drug pricing, many businesses could feel the impact. Certainly negative for pharma and pharma benefits managers, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, let's uh, take a look at these polling results here and uh, see what everyone had to say. Um, Looks like our, uh, whoops, I think I just missed the result there. Okay, Uh, looks like the majority here um, are responding that they don't have a specific strategy in place. Um, Good to know, Uh, but there's uh, about 20% that are responding in these different categories that they do have a strategy or that they are um, not affected uh, by the administration's trade and tariff policies. Um, Really good insight to have there. If we shift over to the Capitol Hill timeline uh, with the election being over, um, but that's really sort of like draft day, right, Mary Moore? The new team is in place, but now you have to get on the field. What's next for Congress? Well, Democrats have won the House and Republicans uh, have uh, held the Senate. So much of the attention now is focused on who the Democrats will elect as House Speaker. The House Democratic Caucus met a few weeks ago, and they voted on California Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi to be their nominee by a vote of 203 votes to 32. But she know, we know she needs 218 votes and a full-floor vote on January 3rd, or a majority of all voting by surname. And her challenge is that at least 18 House Democrats have openly opposed her speakership, which would be enough to throw the election. 
but these 18 challenging Democrats were unsuccessful in actually finding a candidate who would run against uh, former Speaker Pelosi. And I can tell you one good piece of news. Washington recently agreed to a two-week spending bill to avoid uh, a shutdown of the government last Friday, but another potential shutdown is on the horizon, considering that President Trump has said that any long-term spending deal must include a $5 billion border wall, which the Democrats don't support. So lastly, as we wind down our last few legislative days this year, I truly don't think much more is going to happen legislatively, even though uh, Senator McConnell is going to try to get through as many last-minute confirmations as possible, but that's just about it. That's about it. Okay. Well, why are House Democrats divided over Pelosi as leader? And can you perhaps tell us a little bit more about others on the leadership team? Well, many of the new House Democrats, and we've got a lot of new ones, ran on a promise for change in leadership, which has essentially been the same in the House Democratic Party since 2007, which are Nancy Pelosi, Maryland Congressman Steny Hoyer, and South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn. All of these individuals are at least 78 years old, so people were really calling for a little bit more youth and vibrancy and change in their leadership. Now, Nancy Pelosi, who was House Speaker from 2007 to 2011, is an experienced legislator, a prolific fundraiser, and a very skilled vote counter. But she is um, impeded by the fact that her unapproval ratings are about 53%. So that, along with calls for new leadership, has resulted in her adding some fresh faces to the leadership team. So coming in next year in the number four post will be Congressman Ben Ray Lujan, who was chairman of the DCCC, who led the, the Democrats' efforts to win back the House. And then we have rising stars, Hakeem Jeffries, Kathleen Clark, and Sherry Bustos, who will serve as Democratic caucus chair and vice chair, as well as the new uh, DCCC chair. I'm sure House Republicans were eager to pass legislation before losing control of the chamber in January, um, but but why has so little been accomplished? Well, there's so much that Republicans uh, should be passing at this last opportunity, but there are a couple of factors in play. Those The record number of individuals who are not returning um, are really not fully engaged. And Democrats, particularly in the House, would prefer to hold hearings in the next session on a lot of the legislation that they didn't vote for this year instead of trying to fix it in lame duck. So I predict that if anything gets passed before the session ends Friday, it might be the Farm Bill. But it's doubtful that many of these other initiatives that we have listed here will get passed, um, including any efforts by House Republicans to make permanent the individual tax cuts in 2007 that were passed in 2017. Those cuts were not made permanent, and it's just not going to happen. We're going to have to wait for January. Okay. And so what can we expect in January? Well, you're going to see uh, the fact that uh, McConnell picked up two additional seats um, but that still gives him a very narrow majority. So he'll need strong consensus within his caucus to get anything passed legislatively. 
but he will continue to try to get the Trump nominees appointed to federal benches to make sure that uh, the judiciary leans conservative for generations to come. We have 21 judicial nominees pending in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and 32 judges await final Senate confirmation, in addition to 135 administration nominees still awaiting confirmation. And I can tell you, Nicole, each of these confirmations, you um, the, the Democrats can claim up to 30 hours of debate on each, so you can see that we have a long road ahead of us in the Senate. Wow, absolutely. Well, I assume House Democrats have a clearer picture of what they'll do next year because they'll have to fulfill election promises. You're you're correct, Nicole. And among the top items expected on their legislative agenda in January are passing an infrastructure package, strengthening gun buying laws, lowering the price of prescription drugs, and protecting young illegal immigrants or dreamers from deportation. Um, They also want to pursue a campaign finance reform package. And at the same time, House Democrats are expected to quickly embark on a long and ambitious plan to investigate a wide range of issues related to President Trump and his administration. At the top of their list are the president's tax records, the firing and replacing of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and what they consider to be the culture of corruption inside the administration. House Democrats, particularly the progressives who were elected in 2018, have also vowed for months to hold impeachment and oversight hearings on President Trump. But Pelosi, or whoever becomes Speaker, will have to be very careful because Democrats risk overplaying their hand when they attack the President instead of focusing on middle-class economic growth, which could alienate the 2020 voters. Right. That economic growth is on uh, everybody's minds. What what about if we take a look at the uh, Mueller investigation? It really seems like a dark cloud over Washington. When do you expect it to end? And has anything come out of the probe so far to give you any indication about how it will end? Well, the Justice Department's special counsel investigation into whether Russia meddled in the 2016 elections and whether the Trump campaign colluded with that effort now appears to be headed into its third year. Um, I, I would just say for from the business perspective, the bottom line is that the Mueller probe creates uncertainty about what the administration will be focusing on in the coming months. Will the probe and the expected House investigations result in the administration spending less time trying to roll back excessive regulations and and more time complying with subpoenas and other regulated demands? And it's truly hard to know whether Mueller's investigation will make calls for impeachment hearings greater. So it's really a distraction, if you will, from um, the items that business might be more concentrated on. Mm-hmm. Do you expect a big shakeup at the White House after the new year? Well, um, Congress re- is returning to Washington in early January, and that really usually does mean some fresh starts in big cha- of big changes in Washington, including White House departures. 
Um, and those expected departures do have the potential to throw the White House into a state of disarray if House Democrats crank up in investigations on the administration and Mueller ends his probe with evidence that President Trump or his campaign colluded with Russia. And as you can see listed here, as many as five other cabinet-level level members are expected to leave or to soon be dismissed. And we certainly heard the news today about Chief of Staff uh, Kelly departing by the end of the year, which is not a confirmed position, but you still uh, need the time to replace um, United Nations um, Nikki Haley uh, with State Department spokeswoman Heather Nauert. And we have many others listed on this chart that, that could leave, and that would require the time to put someone in place. Mm-hmm. If we uh, take a look at infrastructure, uh, from a business perspective, I'm interested in whether Congress can pass an infrastructure bill that the president could sign. The political will and desire for bipartisanship seems to be there, and millions of more jobs and better highways and ports can only help the economy. Well, a major infrastructure deal like the ones Republicans wanted after President Trump was elected appears to be back on the table, especially for House Democrats. The Republican effort to pass a spending bill at the start of the Trump administration really failed in part because the president and fellow Republicans, they first tried to fulfill their 2016 campaign promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. And we know that that was not successful and it hurt a lot of potential for bipartisanship. And another major factor that doomed infrastructure was that Republicans could not stomach passing a bill um, after the 2017 tax cuts were projected to add to the deficit, um, which is estimated to be over $800 billion in fiscal 218. But Democrats made clear before these recent midterms that passing a trillion-dollar infrastructure package was critical considering that our country's roads, bridges, and ports are in desperate need of repair and are hurting the potential for economic growth. And they certainly would provide the opportunity to create 15 million good-paying jobs. So Democrats have suggested such funding mechanisms, which is what we need to to, um, get through this partisan impasse of over how to pay for it. And some of the things Democrats have suggested are increasing the corporate tax rate while Republicans have proposed a public-private partnership. Now, with this lower, um, with the declining oil prices, some in both parties may be up for increasing the gas tax. So there are signs of another attempt at a bipartisan deal, um, as I have heard directly from some Senate Democrats that President Trump did reach out to them on this issue. And so this deal would remain possible only if the president can bring along Republicans and reach a consensus with Democrats. So, Nicole, there are three questions that remain. Number one, how bad does President Trump want an infrastructure deal? Number two, are the Republicans willing to go along with increasing the deficit even further to pay for it? And finally, Are the Democrats willing to give President Trump a victory going into the 2020 presidential election? Yes. Um, Great, great questions um, to to highlight, Mary Moore. And 
If we take a look at the uh, future of tax reform, I know that's an area that our firm spends a, a lot of time in with our clients. The, the future of tax reform is, is obviously of large importance um, to our firm and um, uh, businesses, but taxes are also important to anybody who gets a paycheck or has a retirement fund or other investments. What's next there in your view? Well, the Republicans are no longer running the House, so do not expect additional tax cuts for businesses. Um, I can share that Massachusetts Democrat uh, uh, Congressman Richie Neal, who will be the new uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, he could attempt to roll back the 2017 tax cuts for businesses, as some on the Democratic side think that they went too far in lowering those corporate rates. Uh, he could propose middle-class tax cuts, uh, something that President Trump has said that he would consider. And not surprisingly, Neil, being from Massachusetts, could also seek to reinstate the state and local tax deductions uh, in such blue states as his own in California and New York that were eliminated as uh, part of the 2017 law as a way to pay for it. So... And I can say one other issue is that Democrats in both chambers have expressed an interest in increasing the corporate tax rate, uh, not only to fund infrastructure projects, but to also give a $6,000 tax rate to families whose annual income is less than $100,000. Great insights. Thank you, Mary Moore. We'll have a look at our third polling question today just to gain insights from our audience. Um, it has been a tough year on the cybersecurity front. While the Trump administration has shown modest progress in advancing cybersecurity, much remains to be done by the private sector. So what are your company's plans regarding investments in data privacy or cybersecurity in, uh, in 2019? It, and it, it sounds like infrastructure is really the sweet spot where people agree that action is needed. It would certainly benefit businesses in industries like construction, materials manufacturing, technology companies that build the Internet of Things for smart cities, and telecom companies that would benefit from broadband expansion. Um, what do you think, Mary Moore? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how our voters fill out this poll um, because I can say the need is significant in the infrastructure uh, space because we face a $1.4 trillion funding gap in our infrastructure through 2025, and that's even before you calculate the cost of required operations and maintenance on those infrastructure projects. Right. The, the business leaders I speak with are hopeful that Congress can find a way to get something passed without getting bogged down in how they will pay for it like, like has happened in the past. But they also see uh, a challenge in finding skilled employees. Talent is scarce and infrastructure jobs on average pay wages 28% higher than the national average for all types of jobs. Would this give a boost to immigration reform? Well, I can say that businesses and associations like the Chamber of Commerce have been in support of reforming immigration because they know the economy is going to need more workers in order to continue to grow. 
All right. Well, let's have a look at the uh, polling results here and uh, see how we came out. Well, it looks like the uh, majority, Mary Moore, are increasing their investment in uh, data privacy or cybersecurity. Uh, very much consistent with what we hear from our clients. Um, this is a top-of-mind issue for board members, uh, top-of-mind certainly for management teams um, across companies of all sizes. So um, uh, we'll continue to keep that uh, front and center as, as we move forward, and Mary Moore, as you're monitoring uh, public policy. Um, if, if we look at trade and tariffs, we haven't seen any significant changes to the economy since the president started pulling out of international trade deals and increasing tariffs on trading nations like higher unemployment or slower GDP growth. But President Trump's trade and tariff war with trading nations appears to have roiled financial markets. What do you think here, Mary Moore? Well, uh, President Trump and Chinese President Xi recently reached an agreement in which the U.S. will put a 90-day hold on proposed tariffs uh, that were expected to increase on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. And while we're thrilled to have this detente, uh, we, it appears that we're far uh, from having a deal done. First of all, we're getting conflicting reports out of Washington and Beijing about exactly what they agreed on. And there's a very tight timeline as the countries have only until March 1st to negotiate the specifics. So um, the sticking points are longstanding and significant. They include forced technology transfers, intellectual property protection, cyber theft, and agriculture. Um, one potentially positive note is that President Trump has U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer more involved in the negotiations. As Lighthizer has the background, having worked on the new trade deal with China and Mexico, and is considered a no-nonsense negotiator with a deep understanding of the impacts involved in reaching a deal with China. So the temporary agreement, or truce with China, leaves American tariffs in place on $250 billion worth of Chinese goods. But it, and while it temporarily removes that threat of President Trump to increase those tariffs on the uh, remaining $200 billion of goods in January from 10 to 25%, um, um, we still have no indication of how all of this is going to shake out. In addition, we don't know um, uh, if the U.S. tariffs that have been imposed on aluminum and steel uh, will be lifted or not. We've got no indication that they have been. And then we've got those retaliatory tariffs that China imposed, uh, slapping $60 billion worth of tariffs on our goods. So you really don't have any post-truth uh, statements uh, saying anything about the lifting of those uh, tariffs on either side. So what we do know is um, the White House has said that China will agree to purchase a not yet agreed upon but very substantial amount of agriculture, energy, industrial, and other products from the United States, which should reduce the trade imbalance between our two countries. And um, China has agreed to start purchasing agricultural products from our farmers immediately. 
Now, this agricultural agreement is very important politically, given that Midwestern farmers have um, been a very strong political supporter of President Trump in the past. Absolutely. If we move from tariffs to trade, President Trump seems to have a foreign policy strategy that's much different than previous commanders-in-chief. Would you agree? Yes, I will say it's very unique. Uh, Over the past several months, Trump has struck deals with Mexico and then Canada uh, to replace the roughly 24-year-old NAFTA deal in those two countries. But the deal that replaces NAFTA, you must remember uh, that this new United States-Mexico-Canada agreement has to be ratified by Congress. So um, the passage of this agreement does require a majority vote in the House and at least 60 votes in the Senate. But any such vote will likely be preceded by hearings that um, will mark a partisan divide. I certainly have heard that directly from Democrats in the House Ways and Means that they want to hold hearings on this. Um, The Republicans are eager to give uh, President Trump a big win, um, but they are concerned that any revised deal may provide too many concessions to Mexico, and the Democrats, when they hold those hearings in House Ways and Means, are likely to raise concerns about the deal needing stronger labor standards. Um, so it's really an up or down vote. Uh, the deal technically cannot be altered, but the Trump re- uh, administration can renegotiate with Canada and Mexico uh, to make changes that could be included in the final legislation, but it is really um, not the smoothest path for, path for doing that. And if nothing is passed on this newly uh, agreed-to deal between the three countries, the president may pull out of NAFTA um, um, if he has threatened. And um, or we could just continue trading under the current agreement. We really, we really don't have a lot of clarity, Nicole, and it's going to be interesting to see. All right. And if we um, dig a little bit deeper into healthcare, healthcare reemerged late in the midterms as a major voter concern, particularly the issues of fixes to Obamacare, prescription drug costs, and Medicare for all. And recall Pelosi as House Speaker was key in the 2010 passage of Obamacare, which Republicans spent roughly the next eight years trying to dismantle. What will Democrats do now, do you think? Well, Congress's efforts to improve the health care system have for many years been a stalemate between the Democrats trying to preserve Obamacare on the one hand and Republicans trying to repeal and replace it. So House Democrats later in this 2018 midterm cycle began campaigning hard on how to improve um, Obamacare. And Republicans uh, simultaneously began uh, touting their plans to help Americans with pre-existing conditions when those were called into question. So we um, can probably expect that both parties will be willing to address the issue of how do insurance companies deal with customers with pre-existing conditions and also the challenges of escalating uh, prescription drug costs. But whatever improvements the parties will propose or might pass continues to be um, open. 
Um, and we know that half of all Democrats who ran this year for a House seat backed the Medicare for All proposal, um, which is uh, universal health care, but, but such a plan is very, very expensive. Um, on, on the one hand, Democrats want to improve Obamacare, but they will likely propose a Medicaid, uh, Medicare for All bill just to please their base and send a message going into 2020 um, but it's very unlikely that that bill would pass in the Senate. So I think you'll see some um, um, fixes to Obamacare in the form of cost-sharing reductions or CRS payments that go to insurance companies to stabilize the health care program um, um, because these subsidies were discontinued by the president in October of 17. But let's hope that they come to some agreement on how to improve the system. Definitely. And if we take a look at the committees and likely committee leaders, committees are where Congress gets its work done, uh, the hearings, the drafting, and first votes on, on legislation, and the leaders of those committees largely set the agendas. Can you give us uh, a bit of a rundown of the committees and their likely chairman? Sure, Nicole. Um, let me just give you a quick overview of the most powerful committees and the priorities of their chairman. Uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler is expected to lead the Judiciary Committee, and uh, this New York Democrat says that his top priority is to investigate Trump's firing of, of Attorney General Sessions and replacing him uh, temporarily with um, Mr. Whitaker and that any impeachment hearings on President Trump would likely occur in the Judiciary Committee. And I think it's interesting to note that Congressman Nadler served on that committee uh, when there were hearings on former Democratic President Clinton in 1988. So he's had some um, historical perspective there. And there's also talk about this committee, in addition to the Ways and Means Committee, subpoenaing the President's tax filings. Uh, Ways and Means Chairman Richie Neal, um, who is the Chamber's uh, Chief Tax Writing Panel, will step into that role, and I think all eyes from the business world will be on Ways and Means, uh, since that is uh, where all our tax legislation is originated from. And we have heard talk that the committee could consider rolling back the 2017 corporate tax cuts and reinstate those state and local deductions that were eliminated in the, um, the tax reform law. And this powerful panel also has jurisdiction over trade, health care, and social security, so um, much to watch for in that Ways and Means Committee. If we take a look at the uh, Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, uh, it's going to be Maryland Congressman Elijah Cummings, uh, who will chair that committee, which is the chamber's primary investigative panel. And we know that investigations are going to um, take up a lot of uh, next Congress's agenda. So um, the Democrats really are taking a page out of the Republicans' playbook because for years they used that very same committee uh, to keep the Democratic administration of President Obama under constant scrutiny and to generate a steady flow of negative press around President Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton as she was starting her 2016 presidential bid. So, you know, history doesn't change too much. So um, I think we can have similar efforts by the panels um, 
under the Democrats' control because uh, they have talked about investigating corruption inside the administration. You also have, let's switch over to the Permanent uh, Select Committee on Intelligence, where Congressman um, uh, Adam Schiff of California uh, will lead the, the chambers, uh, uh, be on top of the chamber's leading panel on investigating Russian meddling. And I can tell you that uh, Congressman Schiff is a formal federal prosecutor and a sharp uh, President Trump critic. He's unhappy about the committee under Republican control and uh, plans to reopen the Russian investigations. And finally, California Congresswoman Maxine Waters will chair the Financial Services Committee. And while she has been a leader in the impeached Trump movement, financial services won't likely lead such hearings. Those are going to take place in these other committees. I see. Well, what else might these committees likely address? Well, in judiciary, um, Chairman Nadler also wants to take up legislation to curb gun violence. And over in Ways and Means, uh, Chairman Richie Neal wants to strengthen the Affordable Health Care Act and promote policies to encourage more savings in retirement accounts, which I think is one opportunity for bipartisanship. And then if we look over at oversight and government reform, um, the Democrats will likely look into President Trump's business conflicts and um, potential guilty pleas by the Trump confidence that have come out. And I think for a lot of people on this webinar, they're going to want to know what's going to happen in financial services, where Chairman Waters has said she would make affordable housing a top priority. I will share that she's a very skilled legislator and is more likely to cut deals than her predecessor chairman, Jeb Henserling, a Texas Republican. And I point to a situation in 2015 when conservatives in Congress allowed the U.S. Export-Import Bank charter to temporarily expire. They were arguing that the bank, which makes loans for foreign entities to buy American-made goods, merely perpetuates cronyism and does little to create American jobs. But there was a strong uh, bipartisan support, and Waters, who was the top Democrat on the committee, helped lead a successful bipartisan effort to renew that charter. So I think that um, it's going to be very interesting to see what actually takes place in House Financial Services. Definitely will be. And if we uh, look out to 2020, uh, we're already at least unofficially into the 2020 presidential election cycle. Any names come to mind, Mary Moore? Well, it's just we don't have a slide big enough to put all the names on it. Um, I think the big question, let's just start with Republicans, where the big question is, will a Republican challenge Trump in the primaries? With his high approval ratings among Republican voters, remember that 95% mark, um, I think a challenge is unlikely, but that really could change depending on the impact of the Mueller report, the um, ongoing trade issues or dramatic change in the economy. I think it's um, a lot more interesting to look at the Democrats who are going to have a full slate of potential candidates in 2020. It's just going to be like deja vu with the Republicans running in 2016 all over again. Um, I count no fewer than about eight senators, including uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, uh, who have both been to Iowa. 
and um, um, perennial favorite Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, as well as uh, Bernie Sanders, who made a strong run last time around, um, um, are, are likely to throw their hat in the ring. And I think that with so many challengers and in this huge field, it's going to be really interesting how the Democratic National Committee handles um, those um, uh, debates that are coming up and how to make them more fair because we could just we could have individuals from Vice President to Joe Biden or uh, people from the business world like Tom Steyer and CEO former CEO from Starbucks Howard Schultz. So we've really got quite a number. So. With the 2020 Iowa caucus being held on February 3rd, my goodness, that means we're just 14 months away. So, Nicole, we're going to have lots to talk about as we go into 19 and see how this playing field sorts itself out. Absolutely. I know we'll be watching this uh, closely. Uh, Why don't we uh, go to our last polling question for the day Uh, Many companies are increasing their digital investments in order to combat industry disruption and forge a new strategic path. Is your organization one of them? For example, do you have a comprehensive enterprise technology strategy, um, or are you still early in formulating your strategy or or your approach related to um, digital investments? Businesses, uh, Mary Moore, we we really see are um, focused on keeping up with what's going on at uh, the state level, too, with with ongoing gridlock in Washington. States are moving forward on many issues from Medicaid expansion, like we talked about earlier, to gun legislation, taxes to fund infrastructure improvements, and many other areas. What do you see, Mary Moore? Well, you're absolutely right, Nicole. State governors, um, as there are more and more impasse at the federal level, state governors um, uh, have more and more control over actions, and they're going to have an impact uh, with this election on redistricting after the 2020 census, which is which is pretty important. Um, we now see more Democrats in governors' mansions who are going to have the opportunity to be very influential in redrawing those congressional maps going into the 2020 election. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, absolutely. And we'll have a look at our final polling results here and uh, see what our audience had to to say. So 25% are making greater investments selectively, uh, cybersecurity analytics, and um, another 26% are um, not sure, perhaps still uh, assessing, uh, understandably. Uh, and another 18.8% are early in formulating their strategy and their approach. Um, interesting there. Well, um, I, I think, Mary Moore, you have given us so much uh, to think about today. Um, really appreciate your insights, Mary Moore, and um, the analysis on what's happening today and that look ahead to what we can expect in the future. Um, looking forward to connecting on additional sessions for uh, all of our participants as you keep all of us apprised uh, on some of the latest uh, events. In uh, there in Washington. So um, back over to you, Mary Moore, for final thoughts. 
Well, I just want to thank you, Nicole, and all of our, our participants today and just encourage everyone to buckle your seatbelts because 2019 is certainly going to be a wild ride heading into the 2020 election. So we will stay in touch. <laughs> well said, Mary Moore. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. This will end our webcast.